0: This podcast brought to you by Hope 103.2. The Big
1: Picture, a Christian insight into the world of movies, television and pop culture with magazine editor Ben McEachan and scriptwriter Mark Hadley. A Bible Society Australia production sharing the light of God's Word into every corner of your world.
0: Hello, ha, and ahoy. I'm Ben McKeckin. And I'm his overly helpful friend, Mark Hadley. Welcome to episode 128 of The Big Picture for the week beginning October
1: 9. Coming up on today's show... Will you survive a near-death experience with the resurrection of flatliners?
0: We find out what Jesus might have been doing as a boy... In The Young Messiah
1: And the sci-fi spectacle Blockbuster extravaganza Awesome-rific event Of 2017 Is finally here Blade Runner 2049 I think I expressed that correctly Mark didn't I I? It's a sci-fi spectacle Blockbuster extravaganza Awesome-rific event Of 2017 It it is quite possibly that If you ignore the fact That The Last Jedi Is coming out
0: in December But anyway Yeah apart
1: from that Blade Runner 2049 (laughs) Is here You'll be bringing us A review on that Later in the show What we don't have On this show though Mark is Sam I'm back I had a few weeks off um, and I'm, I'm perfectly relaxed and all kind of recouped And thank thank you for, for saying how well I look <laughs> uh,
0: and well, Welcome to the big picture where the zero-sum theory reigns You're here, but Sam must go <laughs> uh,
1: no, And so sadly, Sam Robinson uh, is uh, not to be with us uh, this week uh, Or next week, uh, but he'll be back with us after that But we are here, Mark, and we're about to talk about all things movie and TV From a Christian perspective, as we love to do on the big picture Indeed, how about you start by telling us what's out at the cinemas this I week? I would love to uh, I, I was a bit blown away by this I was just looking at the release schedules And had no idea about this movie And I was so suitably intrigued I thought we've got to talk about this Coming to cinemas this Thursday Is the return of Jackie Chan Who I know is doing a voice in the Lego Ninjago movie But he's actually like live action Jackie Chan up on screen Jack Attack is back In a he's- movie called The Foreigner does is, is he play a man in a wheelchair? Is he? he is,
0: uh, no, like
1: he does not. Ninety but, or? No, he's. It's directed by Casino Royale's Martin Campbell, who also in this movie is reuniting with another James Bond that he's previously directed, Pierce Brosnan in GoldenEye. So there's all this Bond reunion going in the Foreigner. But it's about Jackie Chan as a dad who's on the the war path for vengeance because his daughter is killed by terrorists. But something to do with his shady past and this government official that Pierce Brosnan's playing all gets in the way of that revenge plot. This is The Foreigner that's coming out (laughs) of cinemas this (laughs) Thursday. Also at cinemas this Thursday, Mark, is a movie that uh, both of us have, have talked a little bit about off off air, um, mainly because uh, I know that you and your wife, Maya, are going on a date night uh, to see this movie, The Mountain Between Us. Yes, we're really looking forward to it. We rarely get time just her and I. Yes, yeah, so I'm, really I'm really glad you invited me along, because I'm, I'm going to go and <laughs> hang out with Mark and Maya on their date night to watch The Mountain Between Us, which is opening this Thursday at cinemas. I, I, you're welcome. Kate Winslet <laughs> and Idris Elba are starring in this film. It's about two attractive strangers who survive a plane crash, and they get Stranded up on a snow covered mountain, what are they gonna do? It's the perfect date night movie, and I'm the perfect date night date to go along. I'm gonna go with Mark and Meyer, and we're all gonna talk about it on the show next week.
0: Oh gosh. Uh, So you arranged this with Meyer, obviously. (laughs) So bring the bring the chocolates, Mark. (laughs) It'll be fantastic. Let let me concentrate on TV because I somehow feel like I'm gonna need that. Okay, look, here's some fantastic news. Aaron's spelling would absolutely be proud. Dynasty, the great prime time TV soap opera of the nineteen eighties, is being remade. What for, and you mean
1: and you mean Aaron Spelling as in that, that big American TV producer who didn't he do the original Dynasty and maybe Dallas do- and he was wasn't he behind Beverly Hills 90210? No,
0: this is what we're saying. This is the man who's basically the king of soap.
1: And then here he and is. Dynasty
0: is back? Dynasty is returning to Netflix. Far
1: out. It's original very, series. We are very soon going to be talking about the remake of Flatliners. I was amazed that Flatliners came back. Dynasty? Dynasty that, is back? Look, all of your favourites are going to be there. Blake,
0: Crystal, Alexis... <laughs> All Alan. of your favorites: <laughs> um, the power shoulders, the power suits, the big hair. I, I just can't wait to see someone struggling to get through a doorway because of their hair. Uh, it's going to star Elizabeth Gillies Grant Show and Australia's own Alan Dale, yes, of Neighbours fame. Oh, Alan Dale! I know. And if you think about it, there's a very strong parallel between Neighbours and Dynasty. Mm. Uh, yeah, I'm not going to think about
1: it too much. I'm just hoping. Is there actually, anything else on TV? Well, Dynasty I'm hoping they back. get around
0: to doing Dallas as well. that
1: oh. be great. Okay, like, this
0: Wednesday, 11th of October, the AB. is airing a field guide to being a 12-year-old girl. Oh, cool. Finally, I can find out what I need to do. I've been waiting for my instruction manual for years. (laughs) It's in celebration, actually, the International Day of the Girl. It gives 12 girls the task of investigating their own species in an innovative sort of blend of theatre and documentary. Okay, so it's made by and features these 12 girls, and they're all working out about what they like and dislike about being 12. So if you're 11 and not quite sure what you're in for, then I'd encourage you to get to the ABC this coming Wednesday.
1: All right, mates. Uh, we're about to talk about Flatliners. I just mentioned there is a new a remake out at cinemas. Uh, I'm going to bring us the news on that very soon. Before I do that, I've got a true or false statement for us, uh, a bit of a brain puzzler at the start of the show to see if we can work out of what I'm about to say, which part of this is true or false. And this is linking to a review that's coming up a little bit later after Flatliners. We're talking about a new film that's coming to DVD called The Young Messiah, and it was written by Anne Rice, who is definitely most famous as American author for... The interview with the vampire, the Vampire yeah, the Chronicles. the whole
0: Vampire Chronicles. Yeah, this is um, a world
1: away from a Messiah film, I think. Yes, but she also wrote the, uh, the source novel for this film, The Young Messiah, Anne Rice. But the true or false statement about author Anne Rice, who wrote The Young Messiah, source novel, and Vampire Chronicles, this, the true or false is that she changed her name in year one. What was her real name? So, Anne Rice, what was her real name? Was it Dylan Brian Rice? Was it Anthony Jonathan O'Hallahan or was it Howard Allen Francis O'Brien? She had a guy's name. And Did one, she, one of those three... No, which, no offence to
0: women who are named Dylan, Anthony, or Howard, <laughs> uh, but, but she used to have a guy's name, and she changed it. One of those is true. I, I can understand. If you were a girl and your name was either Dylan, Anthony, or Howard, and that's quite amazing. Okay. okay,
1: I will reveal what author Anne Rice's real name was. A little bit later on.
0: Okay. Well, someone taking their own life remains a sad and painful part of the fabric of our society. Mm. But Mm. Hollywood has tried to turn it into a cool, chilling entertainment twice now. Ben saw the remake of 1990s oddity Flatliners about medical students stopping their hearts for a few minutes so they can experience the afterlife. So what's the experience of this reboot? Should Flatliners have been resurrected? what happens to us after we die the only way to find out is to see for ourselves we could document that experience did you see a white light it was more like pure energy how is she playing the piano now it's like her brain's been rewired i'm going next charging 200 it's a good day to die clear do you remember the original from 1990,
1: or Keith Sutherland and all those guys? Not, in- not very well, Mark. I distinctly remember having a video copy of Flatliners, and at the time, the director of that film, Joel Schumacher, was a bit of a big deal. he came come off the back of The Lost Boys, a very famous vampire movie that also starred Kiefer Sutherland, who was in the original Flatliners, and has turned up for this remake as well. I don't know what he was You mean thinking. he does a cameo? He does a cameo, oh, yeah. Wow. Julia Roberts was in the original, so was Kevin Bacon. It was a bit of a Brat Pack kind of movie at the time. It had that memorable hook of these medical students Killing each other, trying to get this this thrill, uh, reviving themselves, and then, and then some of the afterlife kind of haunting them um, as a result. But the film didn't really uh, get a huge response at the time. It was pretty modest from critics and from audiences alike. It didn't develop a cult following. It wasn't a film that was screaming for a remake, Mark. No. This is not one that was actually sort of saying, hey, hey, please, please, I can't wait.
0: The new Flatliners, though, has flatlined critics, too. So it seems like that they took the original formula and went one less. And yep. What did you make of it?
1: Yeah, I, I'm, I'm with the rest of the critics that were, it, like, all these DOA statements and, <laughs> and, and you know, um, don't resurrect it and it's flatlined. But uh, in, the, in the grand scheme, as we've often talked about in the big picture, Mark, of remakes and reboots and going back to uh, original films and redoing them, etc., cetera, etc., cetera. and this major question that has to be asked of every single one, which is why did they bother? Flatliners... Where wow, almost is like leading the race now for like, like there is no answer in the film of why they even thought that this seemed like a good idea to go and do this. So, well,
0: look, I can see why the pitch would work. Do you? Hey, well, here's the idea. Okay. You know, like we're going to um, experiment with killing ourselves to see what is in the afterlife. Mm, mm. Okay. And then we'll bring ourselves back, but it'll go horribly wrong. Now, in a sentence, it works as a pitch, but you say it's just flat on screen.
1: Yeah. The, you're right. The hook. Yeah, that's true the hook remains strong after seeing the film so like so uh, about it so like it's such a nothing movie that even the, the hook just dies off excuse the pun but uh, after they have done this flatline experiment stop their hearts uh, resurrect it re, um, revive each other they have these experiences of the afterlife bring it back into life and they're kind of haunted by it these students but it all it leads to is um, some kind of cheap sex moments um, like group secrets inconsistent haunting from the afterlife and heading towards someone dying for real and that's about about it there's and I've struggled throughout the whole film to work out where's the where's the chills where's the terror where's the where's the deep philosophical moment is there no real villain uh, no there is not even death isn't really the the villain here mark and and the cast the original cast had some chemistry had some rapport I know uh, you're you're a, a scriptwriter, a producer. You've also done some directing. I'd love you to watch this movie and, and just ask the question: Why is there no chemistry among the stars of this, which includes uh, Juno's Ellen Page and Diego Luna, who was in Rogue One? And there is just nothing lively There's about flatliners. No, yeah. no, nah, it really
0: does not fire at all. Okay, well let's talk about the spiritual content then, because the original had something to say about guilt and forgiveness, didn't it? I mean, does the new version dig up similar ideas of guilt and forgiveness?
1: It, def- it definitely does. And actually, for a film in 2017, it dares to mention sin and being forgiven for them, which I thought was a pretty bold move for a film that's definitely targeted at younger viewers who, at the screening I was at, were as bored as I seem to be. <laughs> and I heard someone mutter behind me, that's one of the worst movies I've ever seen, when, they, when, they, when the credits finally rolled, thank goodness. Uh, but, but in this new Flatlines, it kind of flips this idea on its head a little bit, and I think it is in line with today's audiences, which is instead of the original film uh, that was about seeking forgiveness, forgiving yourself. Self is the stronger message here. So rather than seeking forgiveness, you are called upon to forgive yourself. And that's a pretty strong challenge to the famous forgiveness model that was explained and exemplified and encapsulated in Jesus. So, look, maybe the reason that Flatliners is unsatisfying in many departments is that, Then this is a good example of it, there's a curiously empty feeling about the message that it's giving of just forgive yourself and it will all be good. Maybe this is an actual example of why the rest of Flatliners is so unsatisfying. That it's quite a hollow message to be propagating that oh if i just like forgive myself for whatever it is i've done that's kind of significant it will all be okay this is a
0: whole thing if the audience doesn't believe it in the end they're not going to believe the film
1: yeah and that was the vibe i got from the audience and definitely the one that left me with as i watched this flatlining flatliners remake experience Oh, gee, okay.
0: Well, Flatline is doing just that at a cinema near you. It stars Ellen Page, Diego Luna, Nina Debrev and Keith Sullivan. It's rated M for mature themes, violence, sex scene and coarse language. Strange it still didn't manage to rate an interesting rhyme. Anyway, coming up next, though, Ben gives us his answer to his mysterious true or false about vampire creator Anne Rice. And the Messiah is on the way. Yep, the young Messiah on the big picture. Welcome back.
1: This is The Big Picture, episode 128. And Mark, if anyone's missed, well, that's what, by my count, 127 back, <laughs> back editions of The Big Picture, go to the bigpicturewebsite.com and check out our back catalog or find the podcast at wherever you get your good podcast from. Before the break, um, I posed a true or false uh, conundrum. ...to us about famous American author Anne Rice, best known for the Vampire Chronicles, particularly the inter- Interview with the Vampire book. But she also wrote the source novel that the film The Young Messiah is based on. We're about to talk about The Young Messiah very, very soon. Here comes the true or false, though. So author Anne Rice, she was born with a different name and she changed it in year one. Was her original name, Mark, Dylan Brian Rice, Anthony Jonathan O'Hallahan? Howard Alan Francis O'Brien and Mark, you were correct to pick up earlier on that all of those are boys' names. I know not only they're all boys' names, but even the middle names are boys' names. My yeah. <laughs> <laughs> her
0: what parents are, really weren't mucking around. I know. What is it? What do your parents say? Listen, we were expecting a boy.
1: <laughs> I I don't think that's clear at all from what, okay. from what they've done there. But which of those, Dylan, Anthony, or Howard, was Anne Rice's real name? I'm going to go with Howard because that would definitely force the issue. Dylan or Anthony,
0: you might get away with, but Howard, no way.
1: You're, you're exactly right, and. <laughs> (laughs) Anne Rice's parents were all in when it it comes to boys' names for their daughter. Howard Alan Francis. I mean, Francis can go either way. Howard Howard Alan Alan Francis O'Brien. That was Anne Rice's original name. Uh, And she said, uh, (laughs) Anne Rice herself has said apparently her mum thought it was a good idea to name her Howard. Uh, That was her father's name. And her mum had the idea that this would work out for, if a woman had a name Howard, it was going to mean that that woman would have an unusual advantage in the world. What kind, of, what, <laughs> what kind of unusual advantage would Emperor, you have have? You would be
0: the first to have your head in a toilet
1: yeah, <laughs> yes. And the first to be called Howard, I, yeah. I guess But uh, she decided to change her name in year one Basically because she didn't want to have a boy's name <laughs> In a few weeks, Jesus is going to show up What on
0: DVD. Oh, what? <laughs> Although it's not, well, it's not available until early November, we had to let you know about The Young Messiah. It's based on a 2005 novel by Interview with a Vampire author Anne Rice. As we've been going on quite a lot about in this show, but she's super famous, Anne Rice, for Interview with a Vampire. Indeed she is. And it imagines what Jesus was up to as a seven-year-old. Mm. Well, Ben took a look at this imagined childhood tale of Jesus and what it might do for your. Faith in God's number one son.
1: There are rumors of a boy born in Bethlehem. You have your assignment. Go, go. The Messiah
0: is born. His star has been seen. He will deliver us.
1: You seek a family from Nazareth to the boy named Jesus. Lord,
0: Father in heaven. Go
1: me on this path. Yeah, here we are, Mark, with The Young Messiah. Have you heard anything about this whatsoever? Uh, no,
0: I haven't actually, even though I am uh, familiar with the fact that Anne Rice made a big turn as a person, as an author. I've always respected this because she was a multi award winning, you know, million copy selling uh, author of this Vampire Chronicles became a Christian and decided she actually had to take her writing to the whole level of, of serving God with it. And so I'm not surprised at all that she's turned out a novel uh, about Jesus. That I'm interested. Tell me more.
1: And Anne Rice also, uh, speaking of interesting, though, she's made some interesting comments about Christianity in the last couple of years where she talks about being a Christian but not being into Christianity. So she like out and out rejects anything to do with organized religion and institutions and any garb that looks like it's not being about Jesus totally. Totally throws it away I don't even think she goes to church I'm not sure that she necessarily Has any kind of fellowship group and, and that sort of stuff She's almost like an individual Christian As far as I can understand But upholds this idea of Wanting to live her life for Jesus That's that's the some of the stuff I read about Anne Rice As I was discovering more about the young Messiah Because like you I hadn't heard anything about it uh, So what sort of Messiah does she come up with? Well he, here's the thing um, He's young for one he's, <laughs> there, you he's, se- there you go He's seven years old And for anyone who's familiar with the, the New Testament and its records of Jesus life there isn't much in there at all about Jesus before around the age of 30 uh, where the the primary years of uh, his recorded ministry between the age of kind of 30 and his death around you know 33 34 years old there's most of information is about that so you just get very very little apart from his birth and there's a, a snapshot in Luke at the start of Luke about what he was doing as a 12 year old in the temple one yeah, day there's, there's a,
0: one family holiday
1: yeah that's and right in, and, and that's Mary it. and Joseph go looking for their son, that's about it. So the young Messiah then is a a wholly imagined story about what was going on when, uh, and I'm sure a lot of people would remember this from the gospel stories, um, after Mary and Joseph fled to Egypt because they fear that Jesus as a baby would be killed by the ruling King Herod. After King Herod dies, an angel visits Joseph, say, Go back home. The Young Messiah is about the journey back home and getting back into uh, going back to Nazareth. Roman rule is happening. Uh, Roman centurions, led by Sean Bean from Lord of the Lord of the Rings and Game of Thrones fame, is trying to hunt down the young boy Jesus. As also, young boy Jesus is trying to work out who he is, what's his place in the world, and why his parents haven't really told him why he's so what's a a better word than special, different. So
0: so he actually has no real knowledge of who he is. It's not like. um He's aware.
1: No, no, uh, Mike. That's one of the, the struggles I have with with this kind of movie and um, anything that dives into the uh, um, imagined portrait of Jesus. I'm not. I'm not against people like, like trying to uh, come up with what was Jesus doing or even speculating on what was going on in his mind at particular times. It's very fascinating. It's one of the most like, hands-down interesting blokes that ever, ever lived, right? Mm-hmm. It's fair enough. And even this year, we have seen a massive raft it's of been, Jesus it's movies. It's been quite a year for Jesus in, uh, it's in been the been cinemas. Quite, <laughs> I think that's that would be on the posters. Quite a year for Jesus at movies, but it has been everything from the Case for Christ to Last Days in the Desert, which was a similar kind of um, it was similar and it was an imagined tale about Jesus. You and McGregor was in that. We reviewed it on the show. Go to website dot com for that was Jesus versus the Devil in the Wilderness, the Last Days in the Desert. We've also had Risen Ben Hur and the Shack, all of which featured Jesus to some degree, some level of prominence in them. Um, the, the Young Messiah, then, uh, yeah, Mark. What kind of Messiah do we get? It does tend to focus, uh, as most of these movies do, on his human side, uh, which makes sense. We, we really, we've, I think we as humans are very fascinated in how God can put himself in the f- form of a man and what would that be actually like. I kind of get that. Also, there's a lot from the parenting aspect. I think the most interesting thing about The Young Messiah, which I should point out, isn't terribly interesting as a film. It's a little bit bland, tepid, um, as much as it's set where it should be set and looks and feels. Right in a lot of aspects, particularly the production design and the cast members. Thankfully, a lot of them are Middle Eastern. The young Jesus, who's played by Adam Greaves Neal, is still pretty, kind of cherubic, cutesy, a little bit too white, mm. I think. Like curly hair, just a little bit of a, you know, like a a, a nice orphan kind of kid. You know that 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 kind of a- actor, kind of like in, Oliver. Yeah, that 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 kind of that kind of vibe. Um, so you get that kind of portrait of. Jesus yeah, and you do also get the parenting aspect so the the, the most fascinating thing I think is looking at Mary and Joseph, uh, who are played by Vincent Walsh and Sarah Lazaro, do a pretty good job of what would you do if your child is the Son of God, and how do you help him grow up to be who he's going to be, and they are effectively waiting on god 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 to tell Jesus who he is and what his mission on earth is and so they're effectively they're not lying to him they're just not giving him the full truth about who he is because they kind of think he's a seven year old boy not sure he's going to be able to handle it right, that's pretty strange Like, just as a script writing point of view you, one thing you you can write
0: into spaces that no one knows about, but you if there's stuff that people know, you've got to remain consistent to it, or otherwise you undermine your own art. Um, and I think that theres it's fairly clear that Jesus was more aware of his purpose than his parents were.
1: Yeah, yeah. I think that's an inconsistency in the film, and I was a bit frustrated by that as a viewer. Look, I think as a viewer, if you're already crying blasphemy about the, anyone daring to imagine something that Jesus did, then you're not going to want to show up to the young Messiah. But I, I'm with you. One of the frustrations I have with this kind a project, is uh, presenting Jesus in a way that uh, is, a, is not in line with what the Gospels represent, which I think in one part is what you just said, which is he did know more about who he was and what he was about as a lad, than this movie would, would go on to suggest.
0: Okay, well, does the young Messiah offer a kind of unique way for people to journey with their own faith in Jesus? Or maybe a fresh, inventive spin, a way of, of a new door for people to go through? I,
1: I, th- I think it does. I'm trying to be careful here about uh, how I'm going to frame this uh, because, again, I, I don't think there's, a, there's an issue with people uh, thinking about what Jesus did in parts of his life that we don't know too much about. But what I think it could be unhelpful doing, and I don't think the Young Messiah is encouraging this, it just might, people might go off in this direction from watching the Young Messiah is it can make you focus too much on what we don't know about Jesus instead of stopping and considering what we do know ah. what is recorded in the Gospels and then thinking, well does that emphasize something about an aspect or elements of Jesus that God intends for us to focus on? So it's great to go off and like wander through what Jesus have been doing as a seven year old boy and Young Messiah offers some moments of reasonable reflection among a fairly lukewarm movie. But I would encourage people, once they've had a bit of a think about, oh, I wonder what Jesus was like as a boy, go back to the Gospels and see what Jesus was actually like and and, and, uh, what he did do and what we do know about him and dwell more deeply on that.
0: It's definitely no replacement by the sound of it, but still, The Young Messiah is being released on DVD on November 8, and it stars Adam greaves Neil, Sean Bean and Vincent Walsh. It's rated M for mature themes and violence.
1: Oh, oh, Mark, you can probably feel it. The excitement (laughs) is rising and rising because Blade Runner 2049 is here. You've seen it, and we are so going to talk about the sci-fi sequel we've been waiting for. Welcome back. Thanks for joining us.
0: In just a little while, we'll be getting our teeth into one of the biggest science fiction releases of the year, probably the only second to Star Wars coming out at the end of the year, The Last Jedi. Well, of course, I'm talking about Blade Runner 2049, the sequel to the original Blade Runner that came out 30 years ago. Now, one of the things that helped set the bar for that original benchmark film was the incredible soundtrack created by Vangelis. And that got us thinking of other incredible sci-fi soundtracks that have embedded themselves into our memories over the years. So, hey presto, our new soundtrack segment for this week was born, and your chance to see just how many soundtracks you and Ben can put a name to. So, Ben, I've lined up some of the most recognisable sci-fi soundtracks from movie and TV history so you can show the people at home just how smart you are. Uh, Mark, you know how not smart I am
1: about these f- soundtrack quizzes, but okay. So we'll play some through and you just come in with your Alrighty, quickest, easiest, then. accurate I answer. I will try to do that. Here's number one. Oh, this is 2001. Oh, yeah. A space yeah. Odyssey. <laughs> there you go. Hey, is that, is that one for one? one? One point for you. Try the next one.
0: Floating Bicycles. E.T. Yes, oh, there we go. Thank you. Okay. okay. Now, the next one is going to be a tad obscure. Here we go.
1: Is it some TV show? It sounds TV no, theme-like. It's no. Not TV, no, no. No. Okay. Okay. No, it sounds way too obscure for my, even my movie-loving ears. This is Alien. Is it? This is Alien. Yes, how's that? Okay. okay uh, That's Alien-like? This one you'll knock out of the park. Okay. Terminator. There we go. All Judgment right. Day. Terminator 2, Judgment Day. I'm doing all right in this Okay, quiz. now
0: this one's playing for people with an ear
1: for classic science fiction. Okay. Oh... Is this Ed Wood? Uh, um, no, I'm going to get the name of it. Mars Attacks? Uh, oh, now I know why you said that. It okay. sounds like music in Mars Attacks.
0: Mars Attacks was parodied off the original The Day the Earth Stood Still. Ah, so close but so far. There we go. This one's just a good laugh. I had to put it in.
1: Is this Red Dwarf? It is. How's yeah, that? Red that, Dwarf, that the, t- the British TV show. Wait, I, I, I know that. more science fiction than I ever thought that I now,
0: did. because I did a TV show, I thought, well, why don't we throw in another TV show? This one for people who are big fans of Netflix. So, do you mean is this... This is one of the greatest uh, science fiction shows to hit out in recent years.
1: This, uh, are you counting Stranger Things as a I'm, science fiction song, I'm show? I'm not. I'm going to let nope. you off the hook. This is The Expanse. The expanse. If you haven't had a chance to see this, you really should. There's a quick recommendation. Okay, and finally. Oh no, second to last. Second to last. It sounds 70 sci-fi, but I do it's my favorite sci-fi TV show
0: of all time. What is it? <laughs> Doctor Who? No. <laughs> <laughs> the Hitchhiker's Guide to the
1: Galaxy. Oh. Sure, okay. Okay, it's no the last here's all the right. last
0: one. I've got to give you this.
1: I was going to say it just instantly is at Star Wars, but because I figured it was a sci-fi movie theme, you've got to play Star Wars at some point. No, that would be too easy. It would have been. There are some. There's half the nation is screaming at you right now. But I wow, I, this is this is why I tend to uh, become a laughing stock in these quizzes. I do not know <laughs> well, what I, this is. It is, of course. Star Trek Discovery, the new uh, Star Trek
0: that everybody is basically TiVoing or saving or, or lining up for. No,
1: no one is laughing me about okay. that much. And the
0: reason why I actually had to bring Star Trek Discovery in is next week we'll actually be talking about the new Star Trek Discovery series on the show, so tune in for that.
1: But that's sci fi themes, and now moving on to. Ah, Mark. In 1982, a budding new director called Ridley Scott, you might have heard of him, parlayed his success in making a space horror called Alien, you might have heard of that, into an opportunity to direct a whole new science fiction story called Blade Runner. Maybe you've heard of it. It was set in 2019 and told the story of a detective charged with hunting down robots that were almost indistinguishable from human beings, and it barely made its money back at the box office. But... In the intervening 35 years, they changed everything. Blade Runner has risen to cult movie status, deservedly so. And decades after the original, we're finally about to see the sequel, Blade Runner 2049. Well, actually, Mark's seen it, and he's about to talk about it. It's 30 years on from the original story, but it seems that humanity is no better at learning the lessons of the first film.
0: Every leap of civilization was built off the back of slaves replicants are the future but i can only make so many i had the luck and he has the key i think i found him
2: that's not possible
0: if this gets out
2: we've bought ourselves a war
0: 30 years on from the events of the first film in the same seedy dystopian future, the opening scenes introduce us to a new Blade Runner. It's Detective K, played by Ryan Gosling, who's doing the work that Harrison Ford's character, Rick Deckard, used to do. He's hunting down, which is retiring unaccounted-for Nexus 6 replicants who've decided to stop serving their human masters and begin human lives of their very own. The retiring, that is the basically killing, of a particularly violent replicant hiding out on a farm leads to a disturbing discovery. 30 years ago, a female body was carefully buried in the backyard of this particular place. Is she a replicant? Is she a human? Is she something new altogether? One thing's for certain, the massive business empire that took over the manufacture of replicants is keen to get any technology they can out of this, and Detective K is caught in the middle of this violent, unravelling mystery. His investigations are going to send him hunting for the reclusive Rick Deckard, but what he uncovers is so much, much more than an old man.
1: Mate, let's just cut to the chase. Was Blade Runner 2049 worth the 35-year wait? It was indeed. Was it? Uh, this ah, is, thank you. I, I, I was. Oh. So so
0: tired this year. So I so want to see this movie. I know. I was so tired this year of sitting in films which I had high expectations of and just being given meh Okay, instead. Whereas this one completely delivers. Fantastic. Let me give you three things really worth looking out for. Please. This. The first, the incredible pictures. Okay, 13-time Oscar-nominated director of photography Roger Deacons. This is his 14th film. Oh, That guy has a gun. I know. And good chance he might actually get the Oscar for this. Uh, it is incredible the way that he displays this bleak future, with the earth rotting away underneath an impoverished humanity and the super wealthy you know, leaving for off-world planets. It's awesome just to watch. You could turn the sound off on this one and just be stunned by the visuals. But the, number two and even more impressive than that for me was
1: the awesome sound. So don't turn the sound off. No, no don't.
0: In fact, turn the pictures off. <laughs> just
1: listen to the sound. <laughs> I'm going to go Which is it, Mark Hadley? We'll look. One, or one or the other. Or have both at the same time. Oh, that would be Amazing. Oh, yeah. yeah. And so go to the cinema yeah. and watch them at the same time. Yeah.
0: The sound in this is my bet. For an Oscar. okay, Even, now, even better I, than Dunkirk. I This is the thing. You would be thinking that Dunkirk was a shoo-in for the soundtrack and sound effects. But When I n-
1: think sound design now, I think sa- Dunkirk. I know, I know. Until
0: you've watched Blade Runner 2049. Well, and then you'll go, well, that is just incredible. Uh, the, I mean, it is a real argument, by the way, for going to a cinema that has decent sound equipment. Okay, If your cinema is not equipped with dolby digital go somewhere else make the drive and because you're going to want to hear this the soundtrack is at times moving it's intimidating it's physically nerve-wracking because of the the low level sort of sound effects that they use it is awesome but probably the best thing to say about it is the story is good a okay.
1: sequel that has a good a story. A good story. All Whoa.
0: The, it's all the elements of a good mystery thriller. Uh, it's complex. It's many-layered. The script is really well thought through. It's an intimidating future. There are believable characters. There's a mixture of action and depth that'll leave you thinking hard at one moment and thrill the next. You know, in one respect, it's very much like Inception that had that sort of balance of thought and action, and in that regard, the twist's... Also in the plot, just keep going. So I'm going to be really careful about what I say for once.
1: Thank you. Please, please. <laughs> just I know say, you can be a bit spoiler happy well, sometimes, when Mark. I, Hadley. When I think when I
0: think but, the filmmakers have already spoiled the film, I see no trouble in not. spoiling But please
1: don't. I'm trying to go in as cold as I possibly can. Yeah. But there is so much word of mouth on Blade Runner 2049. It's very difficult to avoid it. And it sounds like you are joining the throng who are saying it's thumbs up all the way. And I would get there quickly to and see it before people spoil it for you. So yeah, it's, this it's that good. It is,
0: and I will definitely see this film again and again and. Again, and that might be the problem. And here, why is that? Well, you what, see, what's the problem? If there's one limitation to, to Blade Runner 2049, this is a fan film. This film is made for fans. I'm a fan of Blade Runner. I rewatched the original before I went in so that mm, I could. So really did I. We
1: watched it last weekend, it. and that's yeah. what I'm
0: saying. Um, if you're not a fan of Blade Runner, I'd be very interested in how this affects the the ticket. Box sales, yes. Because the truth is, um,
1: you, I so it hasn't you attempted. You don't think to get a new audience in necessarily. Not at, all. not at all. In fact, it's not like Star
0: Wars where you know you can have new entry into it, or Star Trek. It's very easy to watch it if you have no background. Blade Runner 2049 is a continuation of a storyline and I was very thankful that I had revised the previous storylines. I knew what was going on and who these characters were. And I actually felt even as an experienced uh, fan, so to speak, that I um, was struggling. I mean, there was a couple of times, um, like I went in with another fanboy, uh, we talked about it afterwards, and the very first thing we said to each other was, Did you catch why that happened? And, 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 and what was it? And then I talked to the producer of the show, who I sent to see the film last night, uh, and she was, uh, Yeah, why did that? And, that? and we're all very familiar. It's so fast paced, it's so multi leveled, um, you are going to want to watch it several times over, but if you're going to take somebody who has no experience with this film, they might struggle. So I just want to be clear about
1: that. And are you going so far as to suggest that almost Blade Runner 2049 is effectively, to some degree, the same film as the original then? Yeah, that is the thing. I mean, to be honest... Because the the plotline sounds similar-ish to me.
0: I don't want to say that it is a bad film in any way. I love the first film, and I love this film too. It'll definitely be added to my collection. What I mean to say is that the theme behind Blade Runner 2049 is the same theme behind the original Blade Runner. And what makes a human being a human? Uh, It is the same story. Um, These replicants, in the first film, why are they not human? Why are we treating them in an inhuman way? Uh, Jared Leto plays Neander Wallace in this, the head of Wallace Industries, the new sort of conglomerate, the manufacturer of new replicants and he says humanity's greatest advances have always been made on the back of a slave class and and it's true. If you define something as inhuman, you can do inhuman things to it. Uh, and so in this case, we make the distinction because it means that what we do is no longer wrong. You know? mm-hmm. And so you've got all yep. these people in there no longer convicted by what they're doing to the replicants. Uh, and, but that's very much what's happening in the first film, too. Are they alive or aren't they? And in the end, I think Detective K comes to the conclusion, too, that uh, humanity might be great creators, uh, but they're bad creators with a capital C, if you know what I mean. Mm-hmm. They're, they're, yes,
1: yeah, overseeing their yeah, creatures and relating to them. It. Uh,
0: and, and that just points us to the fact that we
1: really do need a decent God in the control seat, not us. Mate, I'm so pumped about going to see Blade Runner 2049, which is blasting its way into a cinema somewhere near you. Heed Mark's warning about going to one with good sound, though. Repeat, go to one with good sound. And Vision. It opened last Thursday. It's rated MA15 Plus for strong violence. It does star Ryan Gosling, Ye oldie Harrison Ford, Robin Wright, David Batista, Mackenzie Davis, and a stack more.
0: Coming up... Looking for the all-time best medical dramas? Well, we've got them coming, plus Ben's top five films that take you beyond the grave.
1: Welcome back to The Big Picture.
0: Before I raved on about how good Blade Runner 2049 is, a little earlier in the show, Ben told us how not good Flatliners is. Yeah, it's not you know, good. If you missed either of those reviews, you can grab the podcast. We encourage you to do so. You can find all our past shows where you get great podcasts from or BigPictureWebsite.com.au. That's the website itself, the BigPictureWebsite.com.au. Memorable. Anyway, the medical profession in Flatliners is not nearly as distinct or memorable as the medical profession on the small screen. See, medical dramas on TV have been part of our viewing diet for yonks. So we got Empire Magazine's Dave Brown to diagnose why we are so into going to hospital from our couch. And he started by giving us some of the standout examples of TV medical dramas.
2: Two of the biggest of both US programs, ER, number one, the program which kind of introduced most of the world to Mr. Gorgeous George Clooney, it was one of those shows which had an amazing ensemble cast. Fantastic stories intertwined with moments of medical drama. You know, I think these programs are all about seeing people at their worst and then being, then being helped by doctors. People love seeing people being helped. House, I think, was a... a the br- show with Hugh Laurie, the yeah. British guy playing the American doctor. Yeah, and he was a comedian, and suddenly he was this, like, wise-cracking, tough-talking doctor, and he was always the one who saved the day. And I think House, more than most of these shows, was the one that tried to kind of get into a little bit of the medical detail, because a lot of them, I think, were more about the soapy theatrics of the doctors and the patients and, and what was going on, whereas House always wanted to nail that medical situation. And viewers actually responded to that, didn't they? Actually being treated seriously on
1: the medical side of things. People actually loved it.
2: Yeah, and I think you can see that kind of with detective shows now and CSI and all that kind of thing. People actually want a bit more information. You look at other medical shows, you had Casualty in the UK and All Saints here in Australia, and they were definitely more about the people. And I think that's a big part of it. People like to be comfy and like to see the same people on TV week in, week out. And I think at that time, and where TV was, that's what you got with medical dramas.
1: So you mentioned a little bit before when you were describing ER that one of the reasons you think that show was popular Mm. is because it shows people at their worst but often coming back to their best. Does that also extend across most medical dramas, including one you haven't actually mentioned yet, which I'm amazed you
2: haven't, Dave, is Grey's Anatomy. Oh, Grey's Anatomy. Almost definitely, yes. Although... Grey's Anatomy, I think, out of all of the programs, it was all about the soap. It was all about the relationships, all about these students. I mean, the show's been going for decades now almost, I think 13 seasons or so. Is it still going? It's still going, apparently. What? (laughs) Really? As
1: in, it's had a season this year or last year?
2: This year, yeah. And so I think there are people out there who still watch Grey's Anatomy, which I thought everyone lost interest with after the second one but it's still going. Now, in the course of this conversation
1: about TV and medical dramas, we have mentioned that these shows were more popular, let's say, probably like a decade ago, Mm. even longer than that. Apart from diehard fans of Grey's Anatomy, why is the appeal tapered off a bit?
2: The whole face of TV has changed now. People are more used to watching stuff on, or they expect something when they're watching shows on Netflix and Stan. And the way the shows actually play out now, like a medical drama was inherently kind of week on, week off, different stories. You might have had an arc, but it was pretty perfunctory, and it was all about the medical drama and saving the lives of that person that week. You always had
1: self-contained episodes yeah. where there was one story some, or two stories, but always, it always got wrapped up pretty neatly by the end of the episode.
2: Yes, they, I guess they lived or died, you know? Uh, whereas nowadays, people want Game of Thrones style, massive, big, overreaching storylines, and big quality now as well. And I think, maybe not with the US Doctor shows, but I think with the Australian and the English ones, got a bit of wobbly acting in there, and they were never kind of like... The, perfectly played TV and they got very melodramatic but I think now people don't need that in a TV, they want actually they expect a lot more quality.
1: So do you think we are gonna get Game of Thrones the medical drama?
2: <laughs> Look, I think medical dramas will come back possibly in some form, but it's gonna be something we're not expecting. It's, it'll be like when House came and was like a breath of fresh air for everyone and really invigorated the medical drama genre. So I'm interested if they do. I think at the moment TV's too different. I don't think it's gonna happen but it might do in the future, we shall see.
0: Here we are at the peak of the show, the top five,
1: and this week, Beyond the Grave films. Beyond the Grave. Ben, what have you got for us? Mate, we're linking two medical TV dramas which deal with life and death situations, Flatliners, life and death situations, Blade Runner 2049, what does it mean to be human? What's about existence? Here we are at the top five Beyond the Grave films. And at number five, five, thought I'd start with Zombies. (laughs) <laughs> because come on like when a lot of people think about life after death on screen they think about zombies it's I, not much of a life it's no no it's not that's yeah. one of the reasons i've like one of the things i've singled out about um uh, zombies uh, i think us movies pretty much invented zombies up on screen everything from old school um horror films right through to Not The Living Dead and more recently on TV with The Walking Dead but the British have given us some really good undead films including 28 Days Later that gets an honourable mention but Shaun of the Dead is my (laughs) fifth pick because it's Funny and having a, and, and all about zombies. And according to zombie movies, inc- including Shaun of the Dead, dead's noth- death is nothing but being a brainless bag of meat. And that yeah. bag of meat coming to seek and kill the rest of us. So you might as well have a bit of fun with that, like Shaun of the Dead does, and try to kill death before death kills you. So according to zombie movies, as far as I can work it out, death is death... And it just wants to kill us. That's yeah. it. Yeah. That's, that's all we get. That's what you get for Beyond the Grave films at number five with Sean the Dead signifying zombie movies. I'm sure it's a lot. More- uh, we get to The Devil and Max Devlin Have you heard of that film? I've heard of it, I've never seen it No, I haven't either One of the great things about putting this list together Is a lot of these films I'm about to list off I've never seen But I really want to go and check them out Because they're quite fascinating This is a Disney movie from 1981 That starred Elliot Gould as a dodgy landlord, Max Who's hit by a bus, he dies, he goes to hell And he meets Devil's number one um, sidekick, henchman Barney Satin Saturn, get it? <laughs> Satan. Oh, Sat- Saturn. Sat- Saturn. Satan. Yeah. Anyway, It's played by Bill Cosby if you can believe that. And he's assigned this task, Max, that uh, he, if he convinces three people to give up their souls to the devil, he can get out of hell. So ah. Max is sent back to Earth to basically get souls for the devil to send them back into hell. And this is a Disney movie. Apparently a comedy. (laughs) What? And somewhere along the lines, there's a possibility you know, that Max might actually get a second chance to be a nice guy or even do something selfless or sacrificial along the way. So I picked The Devil and Max Devlin because it's a movie, I think, that indicates something that a lot of people think about life after death, which is all you really need is another chance to be a good person. So on the other side of death, maybe if I could just be afforded some possibility of being a good person, well, I'd I'd live my life over and I'd actually do that again. The Devil and Max Devlin, number four. In 1991, there was a film called Defending Your Life that was written and directed and starred Albert Brooks, who's like a bit of a version of Woody Allen, aff- yeah. effectively. kind at the of an time. L.A.
0: version of Woody Allen.
1: Yeah, and he plays an L.A. advertising guy called Charlie, who dies in a car crash, similar to Max Devlin in the bus crash, ends up in this afterlife purgatory location called Judgment City, which is basically America on steroids. So it's all this good stuff about America, um, but you don't have the ill effects. So there's an all-you-can-eat buffet, but you never put on any weight. And what happens in Judgment City is you're waiting for your judgment to be passed on you, and you get assigned a defender who is making a case for your life. Mm. But the strong message of defending your life is apparently that self-acceptance is key to reaching uh, greater states of existence. So what holds... It's not what God thinks of you. It's what you think of you. No, I don't think even God has any time for showing up in, in defending <laughs> your life. Uh, uh, instead, it's all about how fear holds us back in this life. And so if we learn to accept us for who we are and what we're about and our limitations and stuff and get past our own fears, then we will pass on to this new plane of existence. And if we don't, the judgment seems to be not heaven or hell as the the Bible might uh, display it, but instead you'll get a, you'll get reincarnated, sent back to earth and have another go at overcoming Your fears. So there's nothing about eternal judgment in defending your life. That's at number three. Two. What's your next view of Mate, the afterlife? <laughs> another movie that I haven't actually seen but I've been fascinated about for a long time is this film from 1998 called What Dreams May Come ah. that that Robin Williams starred in. You I've actually this seen
0: this one, yeah, and yeah. And
1: it's one of those movies that got hammered by critics but also talked up by critics. So it's either a total disaster or a visionary masterpiece, and it's hard to tell which one. But I, the, I believe it actually depends on which scene you're looking at, to be honest. It, yeah, I think it, it's, it's quite visually spectacular. Robin Williams uh, is a guy who's very happy with his life. He uh, meets his wife... They they get married, all things are going well, but then their kids die in a car crash. There's a big theme in movies about the afterlife and car crashes. Anyway, the kids die, his wife uh, loses the plot, and then he dies. And then Robin Williams, for the rest of the movie, uh, goes through this imaginative trip through heaven and hell. And the portrait in this film is that you can kind of shape heaven to what you want it to be. So the, the ultimate realization of yourself will be in the afterlife. You can create your eternity, effectively. And then hell is a place where if you're a person without hope, Well, that's what hell is. Hell hell is a place without hope. So the message that seems to be coming from What Dreams May Come at number two on the Beyond the Graves list is we can construct where we go next. Mm. One. But where we go next, Mark, is It's a Wonderful Life from 1946. (laughs) My number one Beyond the Grave choice because it offers a very different look at what life is like beyond the grave. Uh, Very simply, James Stewart is starring as a guy called George Bailey who uh, has devoted his whole life to helping people around him. But he gets to this moment of despair where he thinks about taking his own life and then an angel comes from heaven called Clarence who shows him for about half an hour or so what life would be like if he did not exist. If he did not exist. So in terms of Beyond the Grave movies, I think this stands out actually as, as an insight into if you could think about life without you in it, what would the impact be? And the reason I picked this is because It's a Wonderful Life somehow it offers to me like a driver back to, um, there's a part in the letter of the Philippians in the New Testament that Paul writes about, where he talks about whether he could either go off to heaven to live with eternity for Jesus right now, which he knows is the better place to be, or he could stay on earth and help people form a relationship with Christ. And I think It's a Wonderful Life. It goes along that kind of journey to some degree, which is saying that to be here on Earth right now, there is something for you to do, and you don't have to keep thinking about what's going to be coming next. Although that is most important. Mary, I know what I'm going to do tomorrow, and the next day, and next year, and a year after that. I'm shaking the dust of this crummy little town off my feet, and I'm going to see the world. Italy, Greece, the Parthenon, the Colosseum. Then I'm coming back here and go to college and
2: see what they know. And then I'm going to build things. I'm going to build airfields. I'm going to build skyscrapers 100 stories high. I'm going to build bridges a mile long. What, are you going to throw a rock?
0: There you go, the afterlife in five films. Well, we next week we will boldly go where many of you have never gone before, the Star Trek series Discovery.
1: And a date night with a difference, that's right. It will be shared with Kate Winslet, Idris Elba, myself, Mark and Maya when we go to the mountain between us. And we'll reveal the ultimate moviegoer's survival guide. And I'll still then be Ben McKekin. <laughs> and I'll be Mark Hadley. See you then. <laughs> The Big Picture is a Bible Society Australia production, sharing the light of God's Word into every corner of your world.
0: Thanks for listening. Start your day with life words. Subscribe to Hope
1: 1032's free daily email devotional at hope1032.com.au.